All right. Uh, hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the first episode of the tentatively titled Meandering Podcast. So, with me today are Ramon and Daryl, who will be the mainstays of future episodes uh, for this podcast. Uh, I am Kevin, or more known as my in-game name, Papastan, or everybody calls me by my last name, which is Liku. So, we'll give a round of introductions first and get into some topics that we've prepared for the podcast. So, just to give an overview of the podcast, we're just here to discuss games, life experiences, anything under the sun, basically. But we're going to discuss more about what we're more familiar with. So, for me, um, my job is all about process improvement. So, what does that mean? Um Basically, I started working right after graduation, 2010, and uh, was it 2010? Yeah, it was 2014. 2014, man. 2014, I graduated college, 2014, and then I immediately went into the workforce for back then in the Philippines. Um, uh, BPOs were were very popular as a first job, so I got into Accenture, and from there started working as what they called. Um, Business excellence. So what's business excellence? Basically, you have your process in, jo- in, in the workplace. My job is to look at those little, little things inside your process and make sure that it's uh, up to snuff and I improve things that need to be improved. And now I've been in the same space for, what, seven, eight years? And now I'm in Japan doing the same thing for Cognizant and our client... Um, there are client companies here that I do the same work. So now instead of looking into the process to improve it, I'm looking to the process to also improve it, but this time automate it. So there's this additional factor of coding, understanding what robots can do versus what people only people uh, only people could do. Okay, so right now I'm 29 and I've been living by myself for the past three to four years here in Japan. Um. Yeah, it's been a great experience so far because when I was in uh, high school, I really loved anime, and now I'm in the land of anime. But it 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 has jaded me, so to speak. Uh, and then the important games in my life. Uh, we'll start with this for everyone as well. Um, first and foremost is Front Mission Three. It's this tactics game where you like control robots and you get to go to the Philippines, to Taal, to Batangas and the Visayas, and then you try to save the world from this like uh, weapon of mass destruction and so on. And then next would be StarCraft, Brood War, and Diablo because these were the first games that were bought for us by my uncle or by an uncle through, I guess, baptism, my godfather, uh, for our new computer back then, which was like 120 megahertz of power and didn't have any video cards and like 32 megabytes of RAM. Yeah, so we played, my sister and I played Starcraft, Brood War, and Diablo. I was, Diablo was really scary for me back. I was like before 10 years old. Then, of course, during my high school years, there was Dota and League. It was very popular among us. And then when I first got my PlayStation 2, uh, Final Fantasy X was the first game that I ever bought. And it really, you know, made a mark on me in terms of Japanese role-playing games. Although I've played a lot of JRPGs before, like Final Fantasy X with this fully voice acted cast, like so, like let me see how far games could go. Lastly, is my I guess the first FPS that I've really gone serious with, which is 
Counter Strike or CS 1.3. So yeah, those are my five important games. Um, let me segue to Ramon and Ramon, please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Ramon. I'm currently in between jobs at the moment, but I started off in IT. Even though my course was supposed to be chemistry, but I figured I couldn't let computers go, so that's where I went. And mostly now I'm project-based uh, copywriting and went to sales for a while as well. But yeah, you're here more for the games, I guess. And I don't have much to share in terms of job, so I'll just go ahead. The one of the first few games I remember, Onazu, Create Two, long time ago. Final Fantasy Tactics. Oof. And one of the things that I remember back then was I tried early on like gaming the system, uh, not leaving a certain place until I was overleveled. And then as I grew older, I went back and said, oh my god, FF Tactics had like a storyline that's way deeper than you know a grade 2 or 3 could grasp. And it was a product of its time, but also I think the story was somewhat timeless. I mean, there have been more iterations of the same game that came out over the years, so there's that. After that would be a string of Blizzard games. Uh, Warcraft 2 actually started me off in the RTS genre. And that's why I loved Warcraft 3 a lot, because there was a lot of quality life improvements. There were more races to play. There were more points of views to be had. And that's partially how I got into... um, the more active types of games because when I was still playing Final Fantasy Tactics in PlayStation 1, there's also Breath of Fire, mm-hmm. other RPG games where it was usually single player, but you know, going into RTS this is where you go with the multiplayer and then maybe later on the MMORPG. And like League of I started FPS with Counter-Strike 1.3. I would remember going back from school and not going straight home and no one knew that I was playing computer shops because... That was how we rolled back then. And that segues into, I guess, Dota 1, which was still a Warcraft 3 mod at that point. And then into League of Legends, into Dota 2. I'm sure we're going to get into MOBAs at some point here. For sure, for sure. And then after that would be, I guess in terms of storytelling, one of the more memorable games I've played was Mass Effect 1 to 3. Even though the ending wasn't up to snuff for a lot of people, but we're going to discuss at some point why, I suppose. And then after that would be Dragon Age Origins. I guess I like Bioware games. Kind of biased. And I'm kind of sad where they went at this point. But again, uh, more discussions on those when we get to those topics, I guess. And that's it. That's it for me. Okay. Thanks, Mon. Uh, I guess uh, just to provide some context for listeners, we're, we're all native Filipinos and we speak English and Tagalog fluently. So you might notice us some slips, some Tagalog words there. But yeah, uh, let's go to Daryl now for his introduction. Hi, I'm Daryl, and it's hard to explain what I do, but I work in art and I used to work in video games as a writer. I reviewed video games in the early 10s, and now I do freelance graphics and videos and photography. The most important games that I've experienced, at least, is the Doom franchise. Doom, 1980s level of, yeah. 
That was my first FPS ever. And I remember playing it on DOS. And then the Metroid series, which I love to this day. And I guess to an extent, Neverwinter Nights, when it came out on the PC in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. That, that got me into paper D&D. And I guess Gunbound to an extent, because I played that religiously. Yes, yes. <laughs> Gunbound, yeah, man. man. And I got really into it, and that's how I... That was my first introduction to competitive gaming. And then, of course, Defense of the Ancients through Warcraft 3. And I guess that's it. That's it for now. Okay, so we're probably going to have a discussion on MOBAs in some future episode. But for yep. today, I think we're going to discuss one of the topics that are this topical in one of, or probably most of the online competitive games that we have right now. So all three of us are playing Valorant recently, and we have experience playing Dota 2 and other online games. But And I believe we all have this experience of uh, people smurfing in your competitive league or in your competitive ranking. So just to give an explanation to people who don't understand what smurfing is, it's basically um, if, you, if you go into an online game, you're, you're ranked based on your skill. So after a few games, the game is telling you, hey, your gold rank or hey, your silver rank, and this is your skill level. But people on the top echelons of the game, these are the guys who play the game nonstop or just have the talent for it. Um, they either buy accounts that are low level or they create new accounts that are not yet ranked and then they get on the rank queues and basically play with people way below their skill level. So it results in people not having fun because this guy is just stomping on them all throughout the game or uh, basically the one guy carrying the, in his entire team to a higher rank while they're not at that skill level. But the other guys, you know, they go into the median. If one guy is at, um, say, platinum and the rest are all bronze league, he would carry them to, say, gold. But only the only one guy is contributing to that uh, push while the rest of them still remain on their skill level. So what we're discussing would be um, how does one or how do devs make the, make the casual experience for more casual gamers for a competitive game better? So we wrote down some um, points here that we'd like to discuss. Um, yeah, so I guess, w- what are your thoughts on smurfing in general, guys? Uh, one of the hardest things for me to deal with smurfing is, I'm just going to outright say it, it's part of the hypocrisy. I mean, when you're on the end where you're fighting a smurf and you're on the low-level side and the smurf's on the high-level side, of course, you're going to be bitching about it, right? But mm-hmm. I've also had my own experience smurfing before because back when I was playing high-level league, the queues here, at least in the Philippines, would reach from 15 to 20, sometimes even 30 minutes on the upper Damn. levels. And sometimes the games were shorter than the queue times and, you know, couldn't afford wasting time, wanted to play the game. So we'd, quote-unquote, play for the lols, make a smurf. And yeah, being on both sides, it's really hard justifying like, oh, is it fair? Probably not. 
is it a bannable offense? Yes, but like <laughs> even even streamers these days have Smurfs and they're like high high profile. It's this one of those things that are like unacceptable on paper, but in practice, quote unquote, everyone is doing. And yeah, I guess that's why we're in this topic in the first place. Like, is there something to be done about this? I'm not gonna lie. I also had a Smurf when I used to play whichever game. And it's, I don't think it's all about stomping on lower level dudes. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's all about playing with friends who aren't on the same level as you are. Yeah. And the, the only way to do that is to make a Smurf, right? Yeah. So it's a grayish area that needs to be explored. And it's not it's not as cut and dry as like, oh if if you want to smurf, just play casual. Oh, if you want to smurf, go unrated, go unranked. It's different from competitive. Siege has something like what was that mode called? Uh, yeah, uh, called? Newcomer. Newcomer, yeah. Where they'd specifically put all the new players there so they can learn the game. And they can expect that other people are also newcomers. But then there are some long-time players whose skill levels, let's be real, whose skill levels just don't improve. And, you know, they're fine where they are, but Oof. it can be frustrating <laughs> when you're fighting. Like you said, not everyone plays the game competitively. You can be a long-time player because you like the game casually, and that's fine. And you like playing with friends, like, you know? You like playing with friends, and... Sometimes those friends are higher, lower skill level than you. So, is the onus on the developer? Do you just, you know, find better friends to play with? Quote unquote. <laughs> Surely that won't be the answer, right? But like, balancing in itself is probably always going to be an issue in games. So, well, we we can agree. We can agree that although Daryl just said that it's a it's a gray area because it's mm-hmm. not really there's no malice behind it. If you, you can want, you can. Yeah, yeah they're again, not always not something that you can like ask. Oh, are are you stomping because you're playing with friends? Or are you stomping because you know you need to let some steam out? I mean, yeah, yeah. Right? So it's a gray area, right? <laughs> it's a gray area. But can we all agree that it is bad for the experience in general? Yeah, it's bad mm. for the experience. I want to like, say yes, but not like, really. Yes, like, <laughs> like as, a, as a guy with a Smurf. Like, I mean, I think all of us here have a Smurf at some yeah. point, right? Yeah. On the spectrum of good and bad, because we're talking about morals here, and, and more specifically, morals in the rank queue, right? <laughs> we're we're yeah, really, yeah. But so it's more on the spectrum, like say seventy-five percent or sixty percent on the worst scale, on the worst, on the bad air kind of area. Would you say? Would you say it like that, or um, would you say it's neutral? It hinges more on bad, but I don't think it's like that bad. It's not a bannable offense. It's not a bannable offense. Well, why should it be? Offense if you use it on like rank, but then again, yeah, it, I don't know. Do well, you want to lift the skill level of your friends? That's why you're like, because the reason carry. the reason why you're smurfing really is very small compared to the experience of the people you're smurfing on. Yeah. Say, say you're freaking immortal and you go into the Valorant queue and go to bronze. Like, oh, you may be having fun, but probably nine out of the ten people in that lobby aren't having fun. Because you're the one killing Because everybody. you're just running around clicking heads, right? Here's the thing, though. That's one game in 
in X amount of games that you'll play down the line, right? And one reason in how many reasons. Exactly. That's why we're talking about this. Like, how do you so quote unquote solve that? More game modes? Well, a lot of developers, I think, have implemented some backend solutions. Like, I remember in Dota, we had MMRs for the group. Hidden MMRs, and you yeah, match yeah. an MMR as a group in an enemy team, right? That's mm. that's, but that's not necessarily that's an okay solution. But in a game like Dota, where the carry can well carry, carry. <laughs> take just that one person who brings the yellow up to win, and if that one person is miles ahead of, let's say, four thousand, and then the rest are one thousand versus a team of two thousand. Is that fair? In a game like Dota? Well, the more games he plays with that group, then mm-hmm. either their MMR rises or falls. So it, but it we're really. assuming that this is a guy smurfing to play with his friends. What if this is just a guy smurfing, like, you know, maliciously? And how can the back end or the developers determine between the two? That's what, I think that's what's difficult. Because mm. without a doubt, there is smurfing that's malicious, obviously. But, but that's I've already also... out of the system. Exactly. So, what's <laughs> the, the is is there a solution or do we just have to like live with it? You know. I think you can you can put in some some backend controls like the group MMR thing, and then there's also the active active measures, which is your your Counter Strike. What do, you, what do you call that? The the not the Vanguard where where you watch a replay of a cheater, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, the right. match replays, like, yeah, the, whatever. Overwatch, you Overwatch, Overwatch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Overwatch, Overwatch. So, I think in games in first-person shooters where okay, this this guy is smurfing, um, like he's acing round per round, and he looks like he's he isn't cheating. But if he keeps on getting consistent three Ks, four Ks, and everybody else looks like their aim because it's very obvious if you're bronze and silver. Your aim Iron is gonna be way like, different yeah. from a guy who's in diamond, platinum, or immortal, right? So, if they report you for smurfing, then it should be handled by maybe someone from the community who has like an upstanding rep, so similar to like Dota or or CS:GO, where CSGO they invest, watching, yeah, the, they they investigate that clip of the guy smurfing, and then they can say, oh, oh, this guy smurfing. So, is this is this leaning more towards a community effort solution because that's what Overwatch is. Because you really can't do, you know, you can't, unless AI has gone through these several iterations of what a smurf is, you can't really automate that, I believe. Yeah, that's that's fair. But, like, where's the onus on, quote-unquote, improving the smurfing situation? I, I guess it's on the devs to give players who play at the highest level or whatever something An incentive. to do. Yeah. An incentive. Like for example, Smurf. For example, in Counter Strike, you have the Face It League, right? Where up and comers right. they can just go yeah. there and play, and Those that keeps them busy. But that's not Valve, though, right? That's a sev- that's ESL. Like, yeah, we're moving again towards uh, more of a community effort, or uh, it should part. be yeah. Should it be a dev who's the devs who are supposed to do it, or I I don't think it should be a dev thing when it comes to that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it should. Just be supported by the devs. Yeah, the devs. Are, I think I I I'm I'm warming up to the idea of. I mean, it's the community that has the problem because there's something that you said last time. Like you can't blame a guy who 
who created something for how people use it, mm. right? So people are using it this way. People are smurfing. So I guess in a way, you know, like a certain onus to the devs, like new modes, newcomer, unranked, or like ranked. Yeah, put, put as ranked much S. measures that you can on the back end or in the interface itself. But I think the community, because Smurfs are part of the community. They're they're high ranking players. Yeah. Like it's there's also an onus on the community to self correct. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How do you keep them from getting bored at the highest tier? Or I mean, yeah, that's I, just I, how I, queue works. Eh? Like there yeah, aren't really that there are many fewer people. people in the queue. So yeah. that's that's why I resorted to Smurfing initially in league. Like thirty minute queues versus twenty minute games. It's not stonks. <laughs> because she, because yeah, chasing, chasing for the number one spot isn't enough. You know, yeah. when you're ranking and then you're part of the global leaderboard and then you're already in the top 100. And then what, right? Beyond bragging rights, not much. Yeah. I mean, like, you move what, to 30. What do I do? Well, they just find the game fun. I mean... Even the number one of, let's say, Valorant or League still religiously plays the game because number one is such an easy thing to get toppled. Like, there's no dominant Michael Schumacher seven-time world champion number one on top of the, the leaderboards. Leader right? Oh, what? Okay, go on. Uh, they, uh, if you're the number one guy, you're still going to have to keep working on your game. Because some up and comer, some young gun is is out there to get you. But what about the dude that's fine with just being in the top one hundred who doesn't care about being number one? What about what? him? Like, what about the dude who's content birth? with just being in the top one hundred? Like he knows he's already part of the best. Oh, the why will he smurf? Because he wants he to play. Because he doesn't care about being number one. He wants to play, but he, he yeah, doesn't yeah. feel like there's anything more for him in That's the top why tier. The yeah, because you know it, it it does make quote unquote the game easier, and you're still winning. And like I said, it it take, uh, well I didn't say, but it takes a certain mindset to like smurf maliciously, right? Like you wanna just like what Schadenfreude, just just ruin people's days. Mm. But then when when you're on the receiving end of that. You don't really take the time to think of what the other person's reasons are. You just know that you're getting screwed. So, <laughs> and that gets because... in the head of the person yeah. at that actual level, right? Yeah, it's it's essentially lying. Even even if we're saying that it is, yeah, it is because right? you're not true to the skill level you were already given, and that goes to the same for people. Well, I guess boosting is a different topic altogether. But there's finance. that's cheating. Yeah, like, that's, that's cheating. <laughs> That's cheating. So, given that we've we've narrowed it down to smurfing is simply lying about your true skill level, then can we say it's more towards the bad in the spectrum of gamer morality, quote unquote? I mean, if you're going to go morality and you're going to use the word lying, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly, right? It's already I, wrong, man. It's already yeah. wrong. So, so it's wrong. So it's wrong. But it's like it's like when we go to lying, sometimes it's that white lie, right? No, no. What what I meant was, um, so so we've uh we've come to the conclusion that okay, this is wrong. Pero 
there are still some uh, justifications behind why you smurf that makes it somewhat palatable. But in the long run, I think it's bad for the competitive environment. It definitely is. It definitely is. I don't think there's going to be any contest about that. It's just that the way things are right now, uh, people will smurf. Like I said, either maliciously, either to play with their friends. And I think the most difficult thing about it is that we can't pinpoint what the reasons are. So we can't tell if this is malicious smurfing or not. Right? Mm. Go back to that. But it will exist. It's bad for the community because of the negative parts. But for the people who just want to have fun and everything, I guess that's that's the white lie of it. But how how about stop the trend of smurfing then? If we all agree right now unanimously that it's bad for the longevity of any game. I don't think it is though. Not that bad. Yeah. It really depends on how the person takes it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. What what if for example, let's say a new game like Splitgate, you get into it and everyone is just good. So the mentality for you as someone who can handle the idea of trying to get good at the game is to get better, right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of going against Smurfs. Like, I have to be better at the game so I can go against Smurfs. But that's still a huge... Sometimes, I, I get what you mean. That that can be like... I mean, that's, that's, how I, that's how I personally learned like CSGO. You get shot in the head so many times until you learn to shoot their heads first, right? Fine. But there is a gap sometimes big enough in Smurfs where it's just insurmountable at some point i think in in some like games knowledge no it's yeah. not just with the mechanical skills the mechanical right? skills uh and that's what makes it difficult Again, and that makes it an individual choice right of, of do i deal with smurfs or do i complain about it and blame it on them but the, and, the problem is not everyone that, that's like like a small percentage that that kind of mindset the requires people a certain that have maturity. That drive, right? Especially yeah. if we're talking about a game that has a casual. Let's say Fortnite, man. Like you're, I haven't played Fortnite at all, but I'm assuming there are people like, like I've heard yeah. Tifu, this guy who's super strong in Fortnite, and he goes Smurf in a 100 man lobby, and you know the kids who play the game get crushed by Tifu, and when they know it's Tifu, they just ah, it's it's Tifu. No way am I going to. No way am I going to come up against that. But there are other people who would think like, oh my god, it's Tifu, and then I had a chance to kill him. I just have to be better. This is a small, small, small percentage of people. I mean, we don't have the data, so we can't tell, but that's where it's leaning to, yeah. So yeah, I, I guess I, I guess at the end of the day, I think Daryl's right. It depends on the purple being smurf the people being smurfed on, like how they deal. Oh, just, but just a... that's such a that's such a like I, I think the, the best solution for this mm-hmm. is how people are rewarded at the end of the game. That's true. If we can get metrics, like oh, yeah, I, I get. Can you expound on that idea? Like, how would how would the reward difference make any, or like, how would you reward differently? All right, let's go with Daryl first. But I, I have some ideas as well. It's hard to say because. I, I, I'll let me try fleshing it out. Like um, the, the 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 reward system. Like if you're going, for example, a ranked game, 
it's just WL, right? It's win-lose. Mm-hmm. But what if you have like metrics like, the oh, you did well, maybe you lose less points? Yeah, so, think, something like that. Right? Something yeah. like that, right? And Valorant is doing that right now, but yeah, it's not to the it's... extent of it solving the problem. Yeah, I don't think it can solve the problem because at some point, there are roles that in Valorant, at least, there are roles that will not yield as many quote unquote points. Yeah, that's true. That's the role like a duelist. The, right? the things outside of the box. Mm, the things outside of the box matter, and that's not something backend can achieve. The intangibles. The intangibles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The intangibles. <laughs> as much as we laugh about them, they do exist, right? So, I get what Daryl is saying, and I think that's a good step forward into the future of gaming. If we get that, if it gets that exhaustive. But people have nice to, enough. yeah, like bigger companies would have to look into the reward system and how they, how they reward certain things. But I think that's a very, very important thing that I'll put out because rewards are one of the reasons why you keep playing something that you're good at. It's because at the end of the day, it's reinforcing it's like, oh, you're good at this game here, right? And yeah. that contributes to that fun. contributes to the enjoyment, the fun, mm-hmm. and. If you can get some of that through the person that's smurfing against you, then that will really go a long way towards ameliorating the the problem. Like it's just unfortunate. Like for example, that requires some his- historical data, right? Like if you're a smurf and you join lower queues and you continually beat upon people, how do you say you're not? You're just how do you say that you came from CS:GO and you went from Val- Valorant and you're just that good, right? Uh, I mean. Cases like that will even out, right? Because if you came from Valor, if you came from a different game with similar tactics and you're smurfing on low levels, there's, I don't think there's any other way, right? To, to get yeah. to your level beyond doing that. So I don't think that counts as smurfing. You're just making a new account and you're like, getting to where you are supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reward system will affect you because if you continuously, you know, own people in that in the new game that you're going to because you came from uh, another game, then that, that Smurf, quote-unquote, detection system will, will put a check on you and say, instead of earning 22 rank points, you're only earning 5 because you've been smashing people too much. Mm, that's true. Because you need to fast then, track people that are good when they start versus yeah, people yeah. who think are Smurfing. Again, these are so difficult for any back-end to... And then, in the essence, like, the rank system would work that way. If you're, if you're owning consistently, day in and day out, then you're going to increase your rank and you're going to go to the, your correct rank anyway. Yeah. But it's just that the people you step on to get to your correct rank is not going to have a good time. And that doesn't stop the person from just making a new account and doing it all over, over again. again. Yeah. So I guess it's like... We have to tag a person to an account. Yeah, that's, they, that's they need to make it valuable. They need to make yeah. the account valuable. You need to make your primary account valuable so that you won't even think of smurfing because, oh, I don't want to grind this and that again. Exactly. I, I don't want to get, you know, these rewards are going to be redundant. That kind of thing. Yep. So those kinds of things are already in place. It's just that there are a lot of people who are gaming the system, so to speak, like leveling, like new account so that they can sell it to Smurfs and things like that. Oh, those are well those are the malicious ones and those are the ones that need to be stopped. But mm. like we've just said, it's really so difficult to So in essence I think people or devs are putting some 
countermeasures in place. Yes, and yeah. we have some things like the Overwatch system that could be improved upon. And you have your reward system to be reinvestigated. But at the end of the day, there are malicious people who will still take advantage of it. And of the Smurfs who yeah. will... Okay. Uh, the Smurfs who are currently Smurfing will eventually go up in rank to their correct rank. And then they just make a new account. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the cycle continues. And if you're on the other end, then what? Deal? Play another game with the same problems? Mm. Play another game with different problems? <laughs> and it's not It's not so bad, I think, that you know the lower rankers not, are... Yeah, it's not end of the world thing. It's it's a mounting frustration kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's where okay, fine. I'm 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 up, I'm up against these people today. Uh, let's just call it a night. Try again tomorrow, kind of thing. But it's not the oh, I'm gonna uninstall the game. I don't I don't think it's that level. And I think a lot of people need to realize that you're playing something competitive. Yeah, that's why yeah. these people are, are so sweaty. Playing- if you are playing competitive, you have to know what that entails. Yeah, be right. Prepared yeah. to get shit be on. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like that. That the... goes back to yeah. The game modes help then because you know you won't have that if you if the reason why you made the smurf just play casual with friends. I think the biggest for pe- I guess this is addressed to people who are frustrated and they think people are always smurfing on their lobbies and then they they keep on I guess complaining or. It, it makes the situation bad for them. I think for those people, you just have to really shift your perspective into thinking, okay, fine, these are Smurfs, but they're still people. They were able to get to where they are or how their skill level by practicing. So in the end, if I really want to enjoy this game, I just have to get good. <laughs> well, caveat there. If I want to enjoy the competitive side of this game, yeah, there are many ways to enjoy the game, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I get it. I get it. But and if you're I constantly think... worrying about yeah, Smurf gonna... on the other team, right? Just don't worry it. about it. Just play better. Like in yeah, the exactly. The mindset that you should have. But that's that's zoning in on the competitive side. I get that. Yeah. And I guess those are well. Those are where most of the complaints are. Let's be honest, right? People mm. who are trying to climb and can't because quote unquote Smurfs. And people who are playing unranked aren't even complaining because it's unranked. Everybody can join yeah, in. Of course you're gonna face yeah. yeah. Of course you're gonna face people in freaking immortal or people in challenger. Yeah, I guess so, one of the things that as a as a person who smurfed before or who has had smurfs, it's like when people complain, it's like, oh people are smurfing. And then now we're talking about it, it's like there really isn't like a catch all solution right now. So it really is more of an, the the current quote unquote solution I think right now would be an internal thing, right? Mm, an internal learning, thing and in, learning in, how to deal with it. Coping. Yeah, that's the best I think. That's your best solution. While like devs and other community driven solutions are implemented, you just have to make yourself better at the game. You have to match that. Be the Smurf. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think that's tagline you'd wanna. As far. Okay, so I think um we arrived at a I guess not really an a, a not a non non answer, but I guess there are some solutions that we mentioned that could be implemented to games, to competitive games especially that we have now that could yes tamper, not really solve it because it's kind of impossible it's, to solve. Yeah, as as things are, you know, yeah. but it might mitigate the desire for making a Smurf. 
So speaking of dev-related things, uh, let's go on to our next topic, which is um, have devs figured games out? So what do we mean by figured? Meaning there uh, there have been, or there have been, uh, I should say, there are a large number of games that have been created. Our library is humongous from the age of SNES to the age of... Uh, not to the age of the PS5 and to the PC games that we have now. It's yeah. a large number of games that have been developed. And throughout all this, like for us three especially, we see we have seen games that have the same mechanics over and over again. And people keep buying them. And now devs seem to understand what works and what doesn't in terms of games. Would you agree? Uh-huh. Like in terms of systems and mechanics, I suppose, yeah, there are trends. There, there are obviously trends, but I'm not sure how figured out games are when there are so many other concepts, unexplored concepts, I would say, but it's hard, yeah. hard, hard to put a finger on it. Um, so, so the idea is like you have your your what I call the annual releases like Call of Duty and your Assassin's Creed yeah. and your Far Cry's that have like yeah your open world your open world uh, what do you call this your open world formula or your um shooter formula or now it's the battle royale formula right that yeah. they try to just. Put a little spin on it. Like, for example, you have Ark, which is, a, you know, the, the survival craft genre is another thing because of Minecraft. So you have Ark, which has freaking dinosaurs, and you have Tarkov, which is kind of survival, kind of a shooter, but it's more hardcore. Then you have your, your CODs in your battlefields. Uh, the, the biggest thing, I think, the driver for these, you know, formulaic games, so to speak, would be financials. Because these are games created by huge companies like Blizzard and EA. And they know it works. So it's reliable. It's a safe investment. It's The problem is, how do we, uh, as I guess as a community who likes games, tell these de- publishers or tell these developers that it's okay to take a risk and go for something more? Like, how, how do we provide something fresh from the formulaic things that we're doing right now? Uh, providing that? The only way that we're going to provide that is if we buy those risks. But the fact that they are risks, some people aren't going to buy them. And if a uh, dev gets burned one too many times, they're not going to take risks. I think the one, I, the one word I wanted to contest the most when you were doing that spiel is the word works. Because mm-hmm. what works for the devs, what works for the companies, what works for the people, they're all different. I mean, works in terms of financial would be like good sales, right? Mm. But good sales doesn't necessarily make a good game. This is true. An this enjoyable game, right? I think oh, this is a very broad topic. I'm trying to I think um let let's let's define mm. let's define first what do we mean by a good game? Because there are Tons of ways to subjective, though. Right, right. So, uh, there are, are rubric kind of thing. No, not not really a rubric. I don't think we can go that far as to define. It would take a lot of study and research to do that. Let's let's say 
Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the first one. Yeah. Let's use that as the benchmark. Of, what, of a good game. Yeah, of a good game. Because it brought new things, right? And it became the formula for which future COD games were built upon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess I can agree with that because narratively, even though the campaign was so short, it was enjoyable. It it gave like the, you know, the freaking uh, I'll take the left, you take the right. The, yeah. the sniper mission in Pripyat. Was it in Pripyat? Uh, I think so, I think so. It gave us that. And then the freaking run and gun in Backlot or in uh, Crash. I still remember those days where I would run silenced MP5 with a red dot sight and just but uh, I people. guess I don't know if this is gonna make us meander more, but I just like to point out. I mean, that's the name of the podcast, part, my guy. What? Yeah, true. What part of this is because it's a good game, and what part of this is because it's a novelty? It's like something that we haven't experienced before, but we experienced here, so we stuck to this one because there are games like Call of Duty. Like Medal of Honor is one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're both like old franchises. I remember Mod- Medal of Honor from PS One, where you did, you don't even have the friggin' the the joystick, uh, not not the joystick. What do you call the the, the knobs? Oh my god, it sounds like a fucking boom. analog stick. The analog stick, right? <laughs> Imagine play. I have the played knobs. Medal of Honor nineteen ninety nine on a PS One controller without analog. And yeah, man. Damn, right? So which part of this is like novelty? Which part of this is good game? Well, for novelty, it brought Call of Duty to the next generation. It was also fast-paced compared to the previous entries. Mm. And it was the first ever modern iteration of Call of Duty. So it innovated on... Not really innovated. I guess iterated on theme, mechanics, and narrative. Yeah. So okay. moving forward, then, then that's a benchmark. So, but, but it's kind of hard go, to say. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go. No, no, no go ahead. So uh, there are games that have iterated on the same um, mechanics or just repeated or parroted what came before it, but essentially made it better. Can like, you give an example? Um, the FF7 remake. It's the same mechanics as, or the battle system is the same mechanics as uh, FF15, or an improvement of that. Uh, yeah, FF15, the boy band one. Uh, the narrative is essentially a revamp of the PS1 release. And the graphics, of course, brings it to the next generation. I think that's the one where you innovate Several generations. <laughs> Several yeah, generations. Yeah. Right? But essentially, it's still the same JRPG. And we also can't discount the fact the nostalgia boners that the uh, fanboys had when they heard the bombing run orchestral design on the trailer. I bet a lot of people creamed their pants after hearing that. So, there are good games that have parroted mechanics from previous iterations. Not to the extent of Call of Duty 4, mind you, but can still be considered good games. Dragon Quest, for example, I think I would I would say Dragon Quest Eleven is a good game. It's I, a it's a time sink for sure, but it 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 it, 
gets a lot of its tropes, a lot of its narrative, a lot of its battle systems from previous Dragon Quests. And it's a good game. Not a great game, but a good game. So what part of this is, like, solved then? Like, what's, what's, what have the devs figured out? Because not all games in the franchise are good, right? I mean, you just look at the freaking sports yeah, ball like, releases, man. Yeah, like, people are complaining, especially, like, sports games, you're right. They're just basically regurgitating... They're just updating rosters. The, the, the Essentially. mechanics aren't... You know, how, how do you improve upon how it? Do you, yeah, it's been, like, 10 years of the same FIFA game. How it's really a tough ask for you to just come up with an entirely new mechanic for a football yeah. game. Which has existed. <laughs> yeah, which has existed for even I think now a century. Yeah. Yeah, but do you just keep selling the same game, reskinned? Bro, if it keeps selling, I'm selling it. So that's what is that a game that works, but it's not a good game? That's a good point. Devs have found out what works versus devs have not yet. Essentially, I know. I think they have. Because there are books on game development that have, say, put this in your game or innovate on these certain aspects of a game. I haven't read any game dev literature, but I have seen people recommend, like, read XNO or something. So we have documentation and some literature around creating a good game. So in that perspective, maybe you can say it's figured. I guess, yeah. I guess. I think you have milestones that work, right? Yeah. Mm. There's been enough time that in any particular genre that you might enter in as a game dev, there are quote unquote must haves. I guess that's the figured out portion, right? You have a codified thing, like for example, progression. Mm. Like progression is essential when you're doing RPGs. Even now, it's as, it's essential when you're doing shooters, right? Can I bring up FF8 when we when we go progression? Okay, okay, fine. Go, go. What, right? what about FF8? FF8, the, the enemies scale with you, right? So you are actually incentivized not to get too strong. If I remember correctly, it's been a really long time since I've played FF8. And it was unpopular because of that. Because people couldn't go on their power trips because the enemy scaled along with them. In fact, you shouldn't level your characters. I think you should only level up your GFs, if I remember correctly. The Guardian Forces. Did, did, did either of you finish? I can't the game? remember because I just, I just played the card game. Uh, I yeah. only remember. I only remember freaking Quetzalcoatl, <laughs> and he, because it's a, I didn't know, even know how to pronounce it. It's Quetzalcoatl, right? Uh, how you actually say it? But I don't, I don't know how to actually say it when I was when my cousin started saying it, mm. and then I actually wondered. So I saw him fighting early on, like a level forty Tyrannosaurus Rex type monster. I remember him fighting that specifically. And he, he beat it. And then when I saw he was level 99, the T-Rex was also level 99 and he's doing all these fancy shit. But it's still taking a lot of punishment because it's also level 99. So, yeah. Um, I guess for action games, um progression in essence is learning new moves. But in action games, you want enemies to take a lot of punishment but when it comes to jrpgs or rpgs in general you want your progression to 
have an effect on the world and the monsters that you fight. That's fair. Sorry, I kind of kind of went off topic there. I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's really hard because if we're gonna do with the figured out thing, I think we have to stick to a genre. But generalizing it is difficult. But I guess we all we all kind of get it, right? Like there are some things that just have to be there. Mm. Good progression, like I don't know. The gunplay in FPSs. Yeah, the gunplay. They need to FPSs. they need it's to like, feel good, right? Yeah, we were talking about this um, earlier, like. All the archetypes are there, but can they introduce a new gun? Will it just be new characters? Will just will they just be rebalancing existing guns? How do you even how do you even create a new gun for that? Like it's so hard. I mean, th- that's the point, right? It, it's hard to call a game like that solved when balancing is still a thing. Because if a game is solved, you wouldn't have to balance it, right? Well, I also think that calling a game solved when it can be updated is not correct. The only way a game can be solved like chess, or actually even now, game uh, the chess is not solved, right? There, we're so uh, we know a lot about it, such that we can have AIs tell you your move is good or your move is bad. But there are still styles being created nowadays that defy convention, but are a better approach to things. So, I, I think essentially a game is essentially solved if there is no updates left for it to. Or no one is already no one is updating that game. Mm. In the end, people are even if you say that the game is dead, meaning no one is updating it, or the devs aren't updating it, there's still that niche community. It's gonna make mods for it. That's gonna crack another like the speedrunning community. Uh, right? Yeah. yeah like they're they're gonna find bugs in it, they're gonna the find glitches. Yeah. So would you say that a game that is, um, <laughs> I guess the, the correct term would be no game is essentially solved, one hundred percent. But that's not what we were talking about. Like the topic is devs. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah. Yeah. Have they figured out the formula for games? Like, like what I'm saying with franchises, and how they're more or less the similar game. A similar, right, right, like throughout the years. Throughout the years, so that kind of figured out, but it, that doesn't necessarily put a positive spin on it, right? I I would put an asterisk saying they figured out their audience. That's fair, I think. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, yeah, they know their audience by now, so it's not gonna be up to them to bring something fresh. But at the same point, at the same time, like. It's a bu- it's a buyer's market, right? You right. you have to. So they've figured out games like that, like franchises, like how to sell it. Very like, yeah, we we've, we've went across this. Something that works doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but it yeah. sell. So that's if, what they make. If there are people who are willing to buy the same thing over and over again, then the company is just gonna make the same thing over and over again. Mm. I think one of the things I put here for figuring it out is like. It's gonna be profitability versus enjoyment. Like it's the devs versus their market. And as a dev, like speaking from the creative side of things or the development side of things, it's gonna if you're just keeping on keep on doing the same thing over and over again, it's gonna get dull at some point. 
I'd like right. to segue into WoW, but that's a different topic altogether. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you have devs like Blizzard who yeah. just re-released WoW again, right? I one of the biggest gripes that people have with WoW, I think. I, I stopped playing a long time ago, but one of the things is um how they basically erase the feeling of your progress with each new release. Because the shit and your glam and your swag at the point in time where you are at the top of that expansion will all be rendered useless, useless. by the time the next one comes around. I mean, but, if we're going to get into this, I have a lot to say, but that sounds like a different I topic. mean, sure, let's, let's get into it. I, I think, I mean, we're not putting any like game, limit on this shit. Wow. Because, yeah, and I think, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I think yeah. that's how devs go outside the mold of having the game figured out. Yeah. And making something formulaic. Anyway, go on. Uh, yeah, that's the problem. I mean, the only thing that the only thing they can make well f- fresh now, and what have they been trying to do since I think Wrath of the Lich King is introducing new systems, and it sort of becomes a chore. And what one at what point does the enjoyment that you derive from succeeding or finishing that chore uh, counteract the fact that it seems like a tedious thing? Because that's what's happening in, in WoW. Like, the progress is just reset back to zero every expansion. So, it's kind of depressing, actually. Like, how do you make that fresh? How do you make the sense of achievement from the players who've played the Burning Crusade or base WoW up until <laughs> the expansion? How do you make the, 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 basically the achievements back then, how do you make it relevant to now? Hard ask, but at the same time, I don't think Blizzard is going about it the right way. Actually, regarding that, like the continuous iteration of sequels and expansions, mm. I've I've read somewhere that there are now game companies who do not want to create sequels. Yes, I've I've read something similar. Like, uh, especially indie games, indie games make like they turn out one and done games. They pat themselves on the back and then they call it a day because the moment the word sequel comes out and the moment the word expectations come out, that's it's it's so hard. I think that's one of the reasons why Mass Effect Three ending was so difficult. Like as a player, I didn't like that ending, but at the same time, like if you go into the shoes of the dev, how would you cap off something that so epic? It took actually five years right five years or a decade almost to get to that level to that point but taking it in the perspective of the developer on the wow side thing again Mm. how do you make the systems feel fresh after what six seven expansions that is such a hard ask because if you introduce a new system say introduce a new class how do you make the older classes feel relevant. Like I think at this point, are you are you continuing playing the game for the gameplay or for the story? That's also I know. That's also one thing because the freaking right. Final Fantasy fourteen, right? Mm. Like people are saying it's the I best it's story, the right? I, I, I haven't. The, the first part wasn't so great. It was a bit slow, but when you get the Heaven's Word and 
forward. I mean, I guess part of it is also a nostalgia boner because you know it's Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's a fine. You, you expect a good story from Final Fantasy. It's part of the reason why you're playing the game in the first place. But in a game like WoW, have they overdone the expansion? I get wanting to continue the story. I get it. But the gameplay, the gameplay doesn't really change. So when does it break from being like hot take? Do we just say okay, let's stop? Let's stop the MMORPG genre and continue the story in another? Is that gonna work? That's what they did. That's what they did, right? Warcraft three, they switch genres and continue the story in in an MMO. Right, right. Is it time to do that again, but to another genre? Because it, I think it's decaying at how it is. I mean, they're making bank. That's undeniable. Like the, I don't want to mention the the, the lawsuit and anything, but like despite the current problems, they're they're still making bank. They still have investments. And I guess. Well, I don't know if I want to move into this topic, but like, it's really versus yeah. Campus. It's really, it's really the business side of things that dictate what the creatives are gonna work on, because if people that, that that sentence in itself is that acceptable? It's a business. It's capitalism. Mm. It's not a question of acceptable, but are you gonna accept reality? Right. I mean, you can stop playing the game, but how do you get the story without playing the game? You read the books. Are the books as good? But do you suffer through a terrible or mediocre game just, yeah. for, just that? for the story? Yeah. And, and from what I've heard, I can't confirm nor deny, not a good story either. <laughs> <laughs> how things are right now. Well, it really just depends on the person, right? If if it because a lot of people are playing it, I think for the nostalgia of old WoW. Yeah. A lot a lot of people stuck wow, through it because. Of Perfect. the communities, uh, communities that formed their friends, I I believe a lot of lovers or or couples have been formed through, wow, mm-hmm. so yeah, um, I, it was it was a as you say it's a perfect storm for it was a product of its time, uh, in terms of moving forward in the, of the with a story with the key mechanics with the engine. That's just up to the consumers and the subscribers for a while. So if if I don't think that's accurate, mm-hmm. it's not up to the subs. The, subs- the subscribers and the WoW players are up in arms because they feel that their opinions aren't being heard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like the game, and I think one of the worst ways the recent expansion has been called is that the expansion was itself itself was just a testing. And then they, they just release it and people test it, tell them what's wrong. But they don't do anything with it anyway. That's the general feel that I'm getting. It's starting well, to get to the point where... That's why that's the, anyway, That's why Blizzard is in hot water right now. It's because the players don't feel like they're being catered to anymore. Right, right, right. But what I meant with uh, subscribers being the one to dictate it is they stop their subscription. If they don't like it, they voice their grievances and have their power be realized by unsubscribing. Because that's the only way consumers will ever have power over the creator of... Yeah. That's fair. Makes you wonder. So, going back... (laughs) Yeah, going back. um, Have 
uh, have developers figured out games? For some, I think yes. But there, but I think we all agree that there is a, a lot of room for innovation in games. That hard. Yes. Them right yeah. That there are formulaic games that work because people continuously buy them, like your Maddens and your PGA Tours and your your NBAs and your FIFAs. They continue to buy them because they're not gamers per se, but they're fans of the sport, and that's what these okay. companies are leaning on. Uh, and they don't really care if the game mechanics change or not. They just want to play, you know, their sport on a video game. Yeah. Uh, and then for other games such as GTA, these franchise marquee uh, shooters, um, I guess you can include Apex Legends there. You can include battle battle royals like Fortnite. Mm-hmm. Um, these formulaic games are are being iterated upon, like updated continuously with seasons and additional content, simply because they're popular. Yeah. Um, and that's what devs have figured out. But there are hidden gems out there, like freaking Hades, Bastion. Yeah. Uh, I think what? I like what you said about Apex at one point. Is that there was no media surround. The game was good. That's why it got popular, right? Mm. The game spoke for itself. Like they it just farted itself. it out and like, hey, player, player Titanfall Battle Royale. It's awesome, but there are no big robots, <laughs> and people played it and mm. they it's were impressed. Yeah. yeah. And then the cheaters came. <laughs> and then the cheaters came. That's a whole nother kind of worm. Fire Nation attack, bro. <laughs> Fire Nation attack. It's a whole other kind of worms. So I think in essence, um, we agree some games have been figured out because, yeah. you know, the effort there's huge. Like uh, companies are putting so much manpower on that. But on the plus side, we have these indie companies who are pushing boundaries in terms of game mechanics. I think, speaking of pushing boundaries, I heard this one game where the game mechanic is waiting. Waiting? Yeah, you have to wait for a certain number of days until something happens in the game. I forgot the name. Um, yeah, it was a small indie game. Um, there are also, I guess, the double A genre. I think we have that in our notes somewhere that the double A genre has been receding. But actually, I think there's an uptick of double A games. So if you've seen um, the recent PlayStation showcase where they show this Korean um, the action game. The one with lo- kids? The one with kids? No, yeah, that one. Uh, that's Dokebi. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. But there's the other one. It's where it's a fantasy or an action. Oh, spectacle, fa- uh, spectacle action game similar to DMC and Bayonetta where you're, you're this sexy space girl with a skin-tight Project suit. Eve. Yeah, Project Eve. And there there's this other game that's also a double-game game from a Korean developer which has some Souls-like mechanics where you're locked into your animation but the animation is fast. So it's a bit of a spectacle fighter. And there's quote-unquote weapon durability. Wherein there's a certain count in your weapon where you can use it. And then if it turns to zero, there's a special attack that you can do. And then it resets the weapon's power, basically. Mm. So I, f- I forgot that game. Um, 
and the famous Wukong black black Wukong game the from the Chinese developer that uses Unreal Engine that looks so good have you seen have you guys seen that trailer I've seen yeah I've seen Wukong no yeah. I, it's the first time I'm hearing about it <laughs> yeah it's from a Chinese dev and it looks really good Maximilian has done a lot of reactions to the trailers uh yeah so I think AAA games will stay in their lane because simply because it's gonna earn them a lot. And you have your indie games which is looking towards um, creating new ground for, for indie development or for game mechanics. And then there are now the emergence of some AA games. I think majority of them from Asian developers that... Yeah, getting into the market. Uh, straddle, you know, the line of great graphical polish and um innovating on current game systems but not not to the degree of like wild game system uh system revamps and such just reiterating on uh those like souls like conventions roguelike conventions and just you yeah. know making refining them further right so i think with that we can conclude the first episode. Like I believe that's been around two hours or an hour and a half of discussion. I think an hour and a half. Around. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, it's a pretty good note to end it. Um, we I was have to no add set... something. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, no, like, like you talked about indie devs and stuff like that, right? And we're talking about formulas that AAA games have. Is it really on indie devs to look for new things in video games? Are they responsible for it? I don't yeah, think yeah. they're responsible for it, but they're more likely to go for it because the AAA games have to look at the bottom line. Yeah, and with that being said, though, I think that can, you have a. Why go can't ahead, the sorry. AAA dev- devs do the same? They can. I really do think they can, but they're too afraid. To miss that bottom line because of that risk, so they're probably not unless it bites them in the foot hard enough. Speaking like, of that, like AAA devs looking for something new, have you guys seen Forspoken? What? Forspoken. Force open. Forspoken. Spoken. Right. Forspoken. New. It's a new game by Square Enix, and it's way different. Not not. I guess it uses the FF15 engine, but the concept of it, the theme of it, the characters involved in it are way different than their usual uh, guapo boys and pretty girls with nice assets. It's <laughs> way more, it's way fantastical and way more Western than what I'm used to from Square Enix. So. We'll see. Maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they will like surprise us, and the triple A can still bring something fresh. Yeah. So, in in my perspective, like it's it's kind of depressing that the heads of EA and all these are not really devoting enough budget to R and D of new game mechanics and new IPs, new games, etc. But I don't think indies have the responsibility. It's just they have the desire to do it. That's why they're, they're in more these. willing to take the risk. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of developers, a lot of developers from indie companies come from triple A's because they got tired of creating the same thing over and over again. They wanted to have their own vision. 
I'll, I'll use the Metroid series as an example. They were able to take a big risk by bringing Metroid into the first-person realm, mm-hmm. and it being a success. Platformer, yeah, yeah, from the platformer to first-person, and they have the capability to take those types of risks, right? But we're not seeing it now. <laughs> I think the trend right now is that the Asian ones are doing the innovating. The Western- you know why they took that risk? Because it's Metroid. It had a Following oh, follower solid fan base. Like even if because, it would be a bad game, it would work. Exactly because like the Metroid fanboys would still buy it. It just turned out like it was an amazing game. Happened to be a good game. Yeah. Thank God. I that's guess. why. That's why they said, "Okay, I'll give you the green light." It the the popularity of Samus out, I guess, mitigated the risk of that game failing. This will bring me to a different one if you want to talk about it. But like, there's that burden of expectation. Uh, on indie, and it's separate from the burden of expectation on AAA. And then again, there's another dimension to whether or not it has a following. If it's something completely fresh, it's really difficult to eke out something. But it's easier to take a risk when, like, yeah, you know, in Metroid, you already have a solid following or even a cult following that you know will play the games. Like, which is how Persona, the Persona series, came about, right? It's a spin-off of the actual. Of the actual uh, freaking SMT, right? Freaking Atlas, man! Atlas. Freaking Atlas! Their, their like, cult series turned out to be way more well, not really way, but you know. Yes, I agree. Like internationally, it's way more acceptable, quote unquote. Palatable, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, well, one of the one of the examples I had was you know Divinity Original Sin. Uh-huh. Yeah, Larian, Larian yeah. Studios, right? Yeah, they yeah. were they were new, and they they killed it with that game. And then they made Divinity Original Sin two, and that was good too. And now they're handling Baldur's Gate, and now the expectations seem to be a bit more than they can handle. Like, yeah, that's true. Right, right. Yeah, now, yeah, now, yeah. Now, now, like, there's this burden that oh, you were successful because now they're on a pedestal. Yeah, again and again and again, yeah. and it wears you down, bro. CD Project Red. CD Project Red, right? CD Winter Project TV. Red. Yeah, and yeah. Cyberpunk. What, what happened to Cyberpunk? I had fun playing Cyberpunk, but even I couldn't deny that there's. It wasn't a game that was released. It, it was, was like... not the game that was promised to us. Yeah. Give me a second. I'm gonna drink a sip of water. Ridiculous, so man. So it's really, it's really, it, I guess the overall thing that we've seen, it's really difficult. Especially when it comes to uh, what works and what is good, and, and well, what is something you want to make. Yeah, and right? what is something you want to make. Those are so. Those are all three different dimensions of this. Well, with, game. And I guess we, with this on. discussion, we can conclude that games aren't really figured out. There are a lot of things left to discover, a lot of avenues to pursue. It's just that people are afraid to go out of the beaten path. And there are formulas now compared to before. Yeah, they're safe. That are safe. They're safe, and that will yeah, like like we said, it works, but it's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Being safe doesn't equate to it being good. Unfortunate. You guys want to wrap up here? There's one thing I wanted to bring up, but I don't know how much we can talk about it. Um... Uh, I think I I I'm not really sure how long the record is, but you know, give it a shot. Um. All right. I... Or we can save it for the next one. 
That's true. I mean, I don't think games is a topic we're ever gonna run out of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess yeah. we're gonna cut it here. Um, for the for the next session or the the next podcast episode will be releasing probably a week after this one. So watch out for that, guys. Um, whoever stuck around, thanks for listening to us meander about. Again, this is Kevin or Liko. Ramon and Daryl for the Meandering Podcast signing out. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.